What's going on, Cross Timbers? It, it is a great to be here today. I can't wait to share the, the message that I feel like God has for us today. And I just got to start out and tell you that I, at a really young age was uh, when I had my first run-in with the law. And uh, no, it wasn't because I had stolen anything or run away from home. Uh, I just got like a really bright idea that I thought it'd be kind of cool to prank call uh, 911. And... Um, <laughs> I was a kid. I wasn't a smart kid, obviously, but I was a kid. And I remember the day me and my cousin were, uh, were hanging out, and my mom was asleep. And when mom takes a nap in the middle of the day and the cousins are together, it's not going to end well. And we start prank calling, and, you know, we started with, like, you know, Domino's and Pizza Hut and whatever. And then I remembered, like, oh, I, you know, I've been told if you dial 911, then, like, the police show up and firefighters show up and, like, like, it's an emergency thing, and, like, that sounds kind of crazy. Like, three little numbers could bring all of those people to where you're at. And I also thought, well, what happens if I ever get into an emergency? Because I've never dialed 911, and so I don't really know how that works. And I thought, well, this might be a good time to try. So I dial 911, and my cousin's on the same phone, and so, like, I'm not really sure it connected. And next thing you know, we're like, are we done? Is this kind of boring? And then we both hear this voice that says, uh, excuse me, can I speak with a parent? And we looked at each other and we hung up the phone really fast, obviously. And at that moment, we decided, let's play a different game. And just a couple moments later, I hear the doorbell ring. I said, uh-oh, uh, who is here? And I go and like, I peek out the window and I look up and I keep looking up and then I see the face of a police officer. And I I opened the door, and by this time, my mom had woken up and had come around the corner, and this police officer uh, in, in my city, like, he was actually known because he really is six foot eight. Um, I, I mean, I was a kid, yes, but he actually looked like he was 10 feet tall, but he really was that tall, and I remember him looking at me and then seeing my mom and telling her, uh, we got a, a call to this residence, and it was at that moment I found out this really powerful truth uh, that authority is powerful, right? Authority is powerful, and not just like this officer's authority, sure, but the authority of my mom's hand on my behind was quite powerful that day. <laughs> you know, I tell this story because when we think about authority, the truth is authority is powerful, and, and honestly, the most powerful authority that there is is, is God's authority, but we may not have learned this growing up, and for some of us, it's challenging to imagine this, but it's hard for us to really believe that, yes, God has authority, but that authority is for you. It's not against you. It's not standing in your way. God's authority is for you. And so we're going to look at this passage in Luke chapter 7. If you want to go ahead and turn there, you can. We're going to kind of park there today. And I want us to talk about this authority being powerful. And before we do that, I, I want to define this word authority. The, the dictionary says that authority uh, has the power or right to do three things, to give orders, to make decisions, and to enforce obedience. Now, no one really likes the word authority, right? We, we hear that word and we don't immediately think, wow, that's awesome. Yeah, authority is great. And, you know, we don't go to like the good stories where like people of authority do great things, right? We live in a world where we like to actually talk about when people in authority do bad things, 
right? We, we like to talk about and we hear all the time about those who uh, have authority keeping people in line and when people step out of bounds, slapping them on the hand. We, we hear those stories all the time. A lot of us here have had bad experiences with authority. We grew up in a house where we had a parent use their authority to, to break us down or maybe even worse. We've worked for that boss, right? That authoritarian boss who acted like a dictator and micromanaged everything. And when you made one mistake, really got after you, threatened your job, made you feel just down. We've seen leaders, we've seen kings and presidents, unfortunately even pastors use their authority for their own personal gain. But the truth is the highest authority, right? The highest authority in heaven and on earth, God's authority is for you and I, and it's been given to us. And so I want us to read this passage, and we're going to talk about what this authority looks like and how this authority actually makes us better. We've been talking about this idea of better this year, and, and the truth is when we understand that God's authority is for us and not against us, we will actually begin to live better lives. So what I want to do is I want to read this passage I want to read all the verses so you can get the full story, and then we're going to go back through and we're going to talk about some of the characters. I want to highlight some of these parts for us, but let's jump into Luke 7, verse 1. It says this, when Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, this man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you, but say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. Now, that's a lot to take in, but like I said, I want to break this down, and there's really uh, three main characters I want us to talk about, right? When we open up this passage, we, we take a look at, well, we see we've got Jesus, of course, and he's always kind of the main character, right? And we have Jesus who's entering this city, and then we see this centurion. There's a, a centurion servant. And I want us to focus on this centurion here. So a centurion is a Roman soldier, like a captain, uh, and a centurion would have about 100 men that he's in charge of, right? 100 men who are under his authority, under his leadership. Now, a centurion also was typically a man of wealth. He had land, he had servants, he had everything he could want. And as we look at this centurion, we think about a, a Roman soldier at this time who is a leader. Uh, we would think that this is kind of a, a hard-nosed guy who does things his way, and man, he'll, he'll get you out of his way if you try to come against him. But it says that he has this servant whom the centurion values highly, and he was sick and about to die. 
So this centurion is not exactly what we, we get in this picture of like a, uh, an army captain. This guy is, he's humble. He cares about his people. He, he cares about the people who are working for him, not just, not just the men that are under his army, but even his servants. And so we go to these next couple of verses, and it says the centurion heard of Jesus and sent some of the elders of the Jews. So that's kind of our third group of characters here. We have these elders. Now, the elders, uh, they welcome Jesus into the city. In fact, they welcome him in, and they want to put him right to work. But these elders have this relationship with the centurion. They have struck up this relationship over some time, and clearly these two groups of people who don't usually talk, man, the centurion is close enough to them that he feels he can actually ask this group of elders to bring Jesus to him. And so I want us to, to keep reading here because I think there's some keys that we can pick up about authority, but there is kind of a red flag that really jumps out to me right from the start that I want us to talk about. And it says this, that the centurion heard of Jesus, sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, this man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So the red flag to me right there is the elders saying, this man deserves to have you do this. I don't know about you, but some of you might have like that one friend and, you know, that friend, uh, when you hang out with him, kind of looks like this. You decide to go to a restaurant and you get your food and you just make like an observation. You're like, oh, these fries, they're, they're not very hot. That's okay. You keep eating and talking. And next thing you know, that, that friend, he, uh, he'll grab the arm of the next server and he'll say, excuse me, sir, my friend's fries are not hot enough, and he has taken his hard-earned money to spend in this establishment, and now he's having a terrible time, and you're like, whoa, friend, I just made an observation. It's not a big deal. I didn't ask you to do all that. That's literally the elders here, okay? The centurion has said, hey, I've heard of this man, Jesus. I know he's powerful. I have this sick servant. Could you just ask him to come and, and to heal him? And the elders are like, we're going to do more than that. We're going to tell Jesus something. We're going to tell him this. You know what, Jesus? This man deserves to have you come to him. Now, Harvard did a study that nine out of ten times you think you deserve something you don't. Um, that's not a real study, but it's true, right? And, and I've learned this the hard way. Like, you would think at some point you're going to figure it out and you're going to start making all the right decisions, especially in your marriage and Somehow it just doesn't happen all the time. And just a few weeks ago, I went home after church on a Sunday, and my wife, Serena, I have our almost one-year-old Daisy, our little baby girl, and, and I get home, and she, Daisy had been kind of sick. My wife had been taking care of her all week. And, and I remember walking in, and I'm tired. I'm like, yeah, I've been at church all day. And she says, hey, like, I need you to watch Daisy for a little bit. I'm going to take a little break and go to the grocery store, get groceries. And, like, I jumped right in, interrupted her, right? And I said... <laughs> babe, don't you think that I deserve to take a break? Like, I've been working all morning. I've been at church. I woke up at 7 a.m. What time? And then I stopped because I was like, that's about to go real bad. <laughs> and I remember, like, she didn't say anything, right? Like, my wife doesn't yell. Like, she likes to do the silent thing, which is terrible. It's even worse. I'd rather you yell at me. Um, but she just looked at me. And I remember thinking, okay, you just told me you were going to take a break, but then you also told me you're really going to the grocery store to buy groceries for us, which is not a break. And it was in that moment I learned, I don't really deserve a lot, right? And I'm probably not going to use that word anymore either. But what's funny is we talk about this idea of deserving, and man, the elders, they tell Jesus, the centurion deserves you to come. Here's the truth, and it's a little harsh, but it's true. 
man, none of us deserve what Jesus has done, right? We, we don't. We don't deserve the fact that he sacrificed his life for us. We don't deserve all of the good things that he's done in our life. We don't. But what's great about it is that we still receive the gift of life from Jesus. And it has nothing to do with what we can do, with what we can say, with what we can count up. And it has everything to do with the fact that he loves us. And that's it. You see, the the elders, what they wanted to do was they wanted to start this list. They wanted to start this list of all the things the centurion has done. And, And the truth is this, like when you historically look at this area and the synagogue, like the centurion paid for this entire building project. He paid for all of this stuff. So I get it. Like the elders, yes, they they want everything for him. He's a great friend. He's blessed their people. But the fact is that I love the, the next verse. It says that Jesus went with them. You see, Jesus was already going, right? The elders wanted to try to say, well, he's done this, he's done that, he deserves it. Jesus was already gonna go anyway. And we know this, right? We know that we can't earn God's love, that there's nothing we could do. There's not enough that we could do. There's not enough that we could give. There's not enough that we can do to earn God's love, right? He, he loves us. He sent Jesus, he sent his son to be the sacrifice for us, to pay the price for you and I. But I know that we deal with this problem because what happens? Well, we hit that moment where something difficult comes up. Right, we, we hit a bump in the road. Something bad happens one week, and what do we do? Well, the temptation comes in for us to say, well, maybe it's because I didn't pray enough. Maybe it's because I didn't go to church enough last month. It's easy when we sit here right now in this moment and say, yeah, I know I can't earn God's love, but the truth is when we get into those valley moments, those, those seasons of difficulty, we immediately start looking and saying, well, I've messed this up. I've done something. Jesus loves you no matter what you do, no matter what you can bring to the table. He loves all of us. He loves everyone that's here in this room, everyone who's listening, and he loves everyone who's not in this room right now. And it's not because we've done anything to earn it. And so I want us to to keep looking here, and we're going to keep breaking down this passage and I want us to look at this this verse here. It says, he was not far from the house when the centurion sent some friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. Great job, centurion. You learned quickly from me. You don't deserve it. This is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But here's the key. He says, but say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself... I'm a man under authority. With soldiers under me, I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. There's this, like, phrase that I say the young people, some people are like, you are the young people, I know, but, like, the younger-than-me people use, and it's game recognizes game, right? I hear it all the time, like, people talk about it when it comes to athletes, and it's basically this idea that like people of authority, people of talent, recognize other people who have that same talent. And, and that's really what's happening here. The centurion, he's got 100 men in his army that are under him. He's got servants. He's got all these people. And yet he recognizes the fact that he, the authority he has to tell people to do things and they happen, he recognizes that Jesus has that authority, but it's even bigger. 
You see, he tells Jesus, I know, you could say one word and it's going to happen. And this is really funny because this is a centurion man, once again. This is a, a Roman soldier, right? He, he didn't grow up in the synagogue. He didn't grow up hearing about all the promises of this son of God that was going to come. He hadn't had the same background as the elders of the Jews had. They, they've heard these promises. They've heard that there was going to be a Messiah, a Savior who would come, The centurion didn't get all of that growing up, and yet he still knew there was something special about Jesus, that he had authority over sicknesses, diseases. He had authority over space. He told him, you don't have to come. Say the word where you are, and I know it will happen over there. He recognized that Jesus had authority even when he knew he didn't know what the result was going to look like. And this is where it gets funny, because I don't know about you, but... I ask myself the question, I don't know the answer, but how many times was Jesus ever surprised? Like, seriously, how many times was Jesus shocked by something? But it says when Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. He was amazed at this centurion. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. We could stop right there because that's really what matters, but here's a little bonus. The men who had been sent to Jesus to tell him they returned to the house and they found that the servant was well and that's great and that's a miracle but that's not the biggest miracle that we read in this story you see the the thing that's worth focusing on is the fact that Jesus was amazed by this man's faith this man who didn't grow up in the same circles Jesus did this man that didn't grow up in the synagogue hearing all the things Jesus wasn't amazed at the things he had done. He wasn't amazed at his rank, his honor, his property. He wasn't amazed by the same things that the elders were amazed by, the fact that he had built a synagogue. He was amazed by his faith. Now, this word amazed, there's a a Greek word, and it's used a couple of times, and it means marveled at. It means this awe, this astonishing, this shock. Jesus was marveled by this man's faith. He was marveled by his recognition of who he was. You know, when we talk about faith and we hear these phrases like building your faith or strengthening your faith, and Hebrews 11.1 tells us straight up what faith is. It says that faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. Jesus was marveling at this man's faith, at his confidence and hope, even in the things he could not see. Jesus was shocked. He had taken a step back. He was, it was kind of out of his mind type thing with this man that he had never met Jesus, shook his hand, seen him before, and yet he could see that this man had faith. He had courage and hope in him. You see, this idea of courage and hope, we, we battle with this. Why? Because we put courage and hope in things that we can put our hands on. We put courage and hope in the fact that we have the job we have. We put courage and hope. I, I talk about it all the time, man. I, I put my courage and hope by a number that's in a bank account. I struggle with that because I can see that. I know what the effects of that are. 
But to put courage and faith in something we cannot see, that's tough. And that's the challenge of belief. That's the challenge of taking a step of having faith. You see, Jesus didn't marvel at the fact that this man had the knowledge of who Jesus was. He marveled at the fact that this man, yes, had the knowledge of who Jesus was, but also acted on that knowledge. Before Jesus had even come to him, he said, I know of this Jesus, I've heard. I want him to come and heal my servant. Faith is is knowing and then doing. Faith is realizing, okay, that's who God says he is, but this is who God says I am. And that's when we start to take these steps and we start to say, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a step. It's gonna be tough, but I'm gonna take a step and I'm gonna stop putting my hope in the things that I can see. I'm gonna stop putting my hope in the relationships I'm in and the job I have. I'm gonna stop putting my hope in the things that honestly aren't gonna last forever, that are gonna have their own seasons They're going to have their ups and downs. I'm going to stop putting my hope in the things that aren't eternal, and I'm going to start putting my hope in a God who is. I'm going to start putting my hope in a God who loves me, who sent his son to pay the price for me. And this is the word that we call surrender. If you forget everything else I say tonight, which might be easy, but don't forget this one line here, okay? Okay. Surrendering is better than earning. Surrendering is better than earning. You can't earn your way into heaven. You can't do enough to feel good about it. Like you, can, you can feel good for a little bit, and you can get some accolades and notoriety and those things, but at the end of the day, surrendering to God's authority, surrendering to the power that he has, man, that's the key. And what happens when we do that that surrendering, that putting our confidence and hope in him, there's nothing else in the world that we can surrender to and actually get authority back from. When we surrender to a boss, we surrender to a business, we surrender to those things, they don't always return and give us life. They don't always return and set us on the path that we want to be on. They might for a little bit, and then they might not. But there's power in surrendering to God. Because as we surrender our life, we put our hope and confidence in him, he gives us that authority. He gives us that authority. How do I know this? Because Jesus tells us in his last words, we call it the Great Commission. We talk about this in Pathway. What is, he, say? he says, go therefore and make disciples and baptize and teach and all these great things. But sometimes we forget the beginning of that verse. And he says this, that all authority in heaven and on, our, on earth have been given to me, therefore go. You see, it's because Jesus has the authority that we're able to do the things he's called us to do. And then what happens? Well, his really, really last words that we read in Acts 1, we talked about a couple weeks ago. What does he tell the, the disciples? What does he tell everyone standing there? He says, you're gonna receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses. See, that authority that we're talking about, the authority is a person. It's the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you. When you hear our vision here, we talk about 10,000 spirit-filled, baptized believers. Why? Because that's where the power comes from. It comes from God imparting his spirit to you. And as his spirit dwells inside of you, that power, it now is 
for you, that power is now opening up doors for you to do everything God's called you to do. This is the authority that we get to surrender to. It's not a have to. We don't surrender so that we don't end up missing a miracle or going to hell. It's not about that. It's about receiving the power that God has given us and then watching us live a better life. Watching us become better parents and better friends, better bosses, better coworkers, better aunts and uncles, better followers. Surrendering is better than trying to earn our way, than trying to work our way, than trying to talk our way into it. When we give our life, when we put our hope and courage in, in the God that we can't see, and we take that step to say, I'm gonna follow him, we start to operate in that power. We start to realize we really can do it. We can take these steps and become the things that God's calling us to do. We can start to live our destiny. We talk about baptism, this idea of going into the watery grave, right? The idea that when we get baptized, when we go into the water, it's the sign of putting to death our old self. It's the sign of saying, man, I'm no longer putting my confidence and hope in, in me or the things I can see, but I'm going to live a new life. I'm going to put my hope and confidence in the God who has authority over everything. And I love the story of Jesus when he gets baptized. It says that he, he gets baptized and the heavens open and the spirit descends like a dove and rests upon him. And then he begins to do his miracles, his ministry, his work. And I want to go back to that word marveled. The other time that we see that word, Jesus is marveled, but it wasn't in a positive way. You see, he was marveled in his hometown by the fact that in his own hometown, people couldn't believe he really was who he was. They'd seen him grow up. They knew him as Mary and Joseph's son. There's no way he could really be this miracle-working Messiah but when the Spirit of God dwells in you, when you take that step to say, I'm following Jesus, you tell the world by getting baptized and you begin to live that life empowered by the Spirit, people will be marveled. And it doesn't matter your coworker who says, man, I've known you for five years. There's no way you're a different person because the truth is you are. You're a new creation. You've been made new. You have new dreams and new desires, and it doesn't matter who knew you a week ago. When we give our life to Jesus, we can start a new life today. And people will be marveled in great ways, and people will be marveled in shocked ways, but you will begin to live the life that God has destined for you. And that's the authority we have, to live a new life, to not look back, to not put our confidence and hope in the things that will fade away, but to follow a God who loves us, not because of anything we've done to earn it. And so I want to do this. We're going to continue to worship, and I want to ask you to stand with me. Go ahead and stand with me right now, and I want to pray for us, and for some of us, this might be a moment where we say, yeah, I've never given my life to Jesus. I've never given my life to Jesus. I've never... I've never taken that step of 
living that new life you're talking about. And so for you, you might take this next opportunity as we worship and we sing these songs to say, Jesus, I give you my life. I recognize that you are the son of God. I recognize that I can't do anything to earn your love, but I'm gonna take a step and I'm gonna trust you. And for some of us, as we worship, as we sing these words, we sing the words of breaking every chain off of us as we remember the moment in our baptism, the moment where we came out of that water and everything was different, as we look at our life and realize that we really are walking in God's authority, that nothing can stop us from doing what God has called us to do, then we will be encouraged. And we might ask God, what is it that I'm not doing yet that you've destined for me to do? And would you remind me that I have the authority to do it? Let me pray for us. God, I thank you so much. I thank you so much that you loved us first. You loved us before we could even get a word out, before we could try to make an excuse, before we could try to run away, before we could try to earn our way. God, you loved us. You sent your son to pay the price for us so that we could be connected with you. And not just to be connected with you one day, but God, be connected with you today to begin to walk out the destiny you've created for us, not on our own strength, because we'll lack, but on your strength and your power. And so God, I pray right now for every person in this room, for those of us who doubt, we doubt in the things we can do, we doubt in the gifts you've given us, we doubt that you truly have a destiny for us. Would you send your spirit right now to remind us that all authority in heaven and on earth is yours, God, and you've given us your spirit, you've given us a calling over life, you've given us things to do, places to speak your truth, places to share your love. Would you remind us in this moment, God, that we are sons and daughters of you. We are empowered by your spirit. We are equipped to do everything you've called us to do. And when we begin to walk that out, and God, as we worship, may we worship loud. May we celebrate the fact that our, our faith, our, our confidence, our hope is not in things that will fade, but God, it is in you and the things you're doing. And sometimes we can't see it, but God, may we take a step and trust in you that you are at work, that you're sending your power, and that we can walk in it. We thank you, Lord, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.